0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, as, uh, as Sean said, I'm Dan. Um, I'm usually uh, leading worship here. And I was going to say it's, it's good to be behind the pulpit again, but it's actually more like a music stand, but, which I'm a lot more used to being behind anyway. Um, it's, it's always a great honor to be able to share a message with you, and um, especially coming out of Easter Sunday last week, which was such a, a joyous, joyous service for those of you who were able to make it. Um, we have this beautiful backdrop now, which I think adds so much. Um, for those of you who were around last time I preached, um, I was really excited because it was, I said it was, the first time I was getting to preach on something upbeat. It was on the message of hope. And, and I sort of had, had chuckled because a number of times before that, I'd, I'd preached on heavy, uh, more sort of heavier topics. And as a result, I was I felt like I was creating this imagery as the preacher of doom. Um. (laughs) Well, we're going to revisit that title today. (laughs) Because that's it. That's the only upbeat message I have. (laughs) That was it. But no, actually, we're going to be talking about um, a very, very difficult question that um, nobody can really truly answer. So... um, I will preface what I'm going to talk about today by saying that um, I certainly don't claim to have all the answers, and we're not going to come away with a complete answer, but hopefully a better understanding of what that question is and how to deal with it. So I want to start with a story first, and the story involves there was a family of a mother, a father, and three children. The three children were a sister and two brothers. And the father worked whatever jobs he could to put bread on the table. And the mother did the best she could to raise these children in the ways of God to bring them up as as good people, people who love the Lord. As time went on, the mother got sick. And for a year or two, she languished and got worse and worse until eventually she died. And as the three children were in their place of grief and suffering and mourning the loss of their mother. They came to a crossroads. The three children had some options, some choices they could make. The sister, who was the middle child, she decided to quietly walk on with her faith, not look too deeply at things, not question things too much, but just continue on her path. The younger brother... Who had wandered away from God came back, called out to God, renewed his relationship with the Lord, and jumped, dived into uh, a fuller relationship with Him. The older brother, who had, even before his mom's death, had started having doubts and really wasn't sure about the existence of God anyway, called out to God, felt he received nothing but silence, and therefore, dismiss God. He decided, if you're the kind of God who will not speak to me in my suffering, if you're the kind of God who will remain silent while I grieve, while I'm hurting, then you're no God at all and I don't want to know you. That story there um, takes many forms in, in real life. We come to choices and decisions about events in our lives and how we respond to God and how we decide we want to view God. And so this leads us to that question that I was talking about, and that's the question of pain and suffering and God. How, How are we supposed to deal with pain and suffering and believe and trust in God? It's a question we've all asked. It's a question we probably ask a lot, and like I said, it's not something that I believe we're going to be able to fully answer while we're still here on this earth. It's a question that many brilliant scholars, theologians, philosophers, scientists, even atheists have tried to answer, and they've each come up with their solutions, but none of them quite sort of, you know, fully address it for us. And usually the reasoning goes something like this. Um, if God is all-powerful and God is all-loving, he should not want any of his creation to suffer. And it should, he should therefore have the power to create a world where suffering and pain does not exist. And if suffering and pain do exist, then he's either not all-powerful or he's not all-loving or maybe he just doesn't exist. Usually that's, that's kind of somehow the reasoning Process somewhere in there. David Hume, a Scottish philosopher, uh, back in the 1700s wrote this. He said about God, Is he willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he is impotent. Is he able but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Whence then is evil? Now David Hume... Uh, was probably an agnostic and maybe an atheist. And he didn't have a lot of faith in that God was the answer. Now, I promise you, this is not going to be a philosophy or theology lecture. Okay, because basically I figured out what theologists and philosophers do is they think really hard about things. Okay, so they kind of, you know, they go, and they write a book on it, okay? And they usually have have a beard, you know, that you can twirl, that kind of thing. And they'll write a book on it, and then they'll come up with a really fancy name for whatever it is they've written on. So they'll be like, we're going to call that uh, Supralapsarianism, or something like that. (laughs) It's usually a word you can't pronounce. So we're not going to go there. It's not going to turn into a philosophy or theological lecture, but... um, I would say we really face two main problems when we're looking at pain and suffering and how that relates to a good, loving, all-powerful God. And that is, um, one is coming from an intellectual place. Okay? So it's the intellectual problem of how does this work. And I, I thoroughly believe there are some, some great uh, Christian philosophers and theologians out there who've come up with some very, very good answers just on a purely intellectual um, point of view that really do support Yes, God can exist and pain and suffering can still exist at the same time and there's a very good reason for it. But at the end of the day, when we think about pain and suffering, most of us are not coming at it from an intellectual point of view. We're coming at it from an emotional point of view. If you're going through something, if you're going through something that's really hurting you or a friend or something that is just bringing you to a place of of just questioning everything you don't need somebody saying well there are these logical reasons for it's not going to touch you is it it's not going to speak to you in that moment you need an emotional response and usually that's where pain and suffering touches us most deeply is at the point of our emotions these questions god why are you allowing this why are you doing this It's interesting to note that even if you're coming from, say, an atheistic or agnostic point of view, you're usually, at some point, saying there's something wrong with pain and suffering, okay? Even if you don't believe anything, you still, in your gut, know that there's something wrong about pain and suffering. There's something about it that's not right. And if you think that, you're really coming at it from a moral point of view. You're you're coming at it from a moral set of laws that says there is a good and there is an evil. So really, if there's a moral law, there's a moral lawgiver. And that's why I say it's from a place of emotion. Because what are you angry at if you don't believe in anything? Right? It really is an important question. Of course, as Christians, as people who love the Lord, our way is to not deal with it by throwing that in people's faces. We need to deal with it in a loving manner, in a way that speaks in compassion and love towards people. We live in an age of unprecedented information. There's never been a time where more information is available at our fingertips. I believe I read somewhere that there's more information now in a weekend edition of the New York Times. Than a, uh, an English peasant living in 14th century England would have learnt in a lifetime. Yeah, just a, a weekend edition of the New York Times, more information there. You know, we've got Wikipedia, we've got Google, Yahoo.com, all these things, right? And we can look up anything we want to look up, yeah? Want to know how to fry an egg? Google it, right? Look it up on, you've even got you know, YouTube clips now, right? Show you how to. Okay, you crack the egg and then. You know. It's actually out there, isn't it? There's, there's, there is a video of people frying eggs. WebMD, oh dear. One of the greatest and uh, probably worst inventions ever, slowly turning us all into hypochondriacs. Well, I have this symptom and I, I think, you know, just don't go there. But, of course, with information comes disinformation, right? I love that. I love that term, disinformation. Well, uh, we the supplied disinformation. No, you lied. Come on. It's, it's really just a nice way of saying lying, isn't it? So often we go to all the wrong places, I believe, for information. Okay, there's a reason in college, for example, that college professors won't let you cite Wikipedia as a authentic source of uh, information, okay? It's because anybody can contribute and there's a lot of disinformation there. So a really good place to look for answers and to look for truth is scripture, right? And especially if we are calling ourselves believers and followers of, of the word and we believe that the word of God is truth and it's inspired, then that should be one of the first places we look rather than looking everywhere else. Now, Scripture doesn't give us the answers to everything in life. Its purpose was not to answer every question of the human condition. Its purpose was to reveal who God is and his plan of redemption, and his relationship between himself and us. So it doesn't answer all our questions, but it can give us examples and things we can look at that can speak into what we're going through in our lives. So, when we're looking at this particular issue of pain and suffering, there's one scripture I think is really important to bear in mind um, as we deal with this issue. And it's uh, Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. And this is what it says It says, This is the Lord speaking. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's a really good scripture to keep in mind because I think it keeps us centered and it keeps us humble, realizing that we don't know everything. We're finite beings. We're not expected to know everything and we were not created to know everything. That's God's role. So what I want to do is I want us to look at a piece of scripture this morning. It's one of my favorite pieces of scripture um, and it's uh, it's it's the story of Lazarus and the resurrection of Lazarus. Last week, we celebrated the resurrection, right? The resurrection that changed history. But there were other resurrections in the Bible. And I want us to look at the story of Lazarus um, and dissect it a little bit to help us understand this issue of pain and suffering. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to um, it's G- uh, Gospel of John, chapter 11. Um, and if not, hopefully it'll be on the screen for us. And... I'm going to read this. It's a fair chunk of scripture. Um, but I think it's, it's good sometimes to really look at a big chunk of scripture rather than just little snippets. And as we do this, I just want you to soak in the story. Imagine yourself in the story. Imagine the scenery. Imagine the setting. Who do you relate to? Perhaps you relate to one of the disciples. Perhaps you relate to uh, Martha or Mary. Or perhaps some of the Jews and Uh, The family weeping. Perhaps you relate to Jesus or even to Lazarus. So let's read chapter 11, John. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, She went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come unto the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her by supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus saw, was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died." When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit, and troubled. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus. Come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Amen. It's a wonderful, wonderful episode that we find in John's gospel. And, And it's so full and rich of so many things. And there's probably a gazillion sermons and angles you could preach On this chapter or rather this passage. Let's dissect it a little bit. So first of all Jesus is told that Lazarus is sick. And obviously he's really sick because he dies from it. So we're not talking just you know a little cold or something. He's, He's sick. And so what does Jesus do? He stays where he is for two more days. Which is a really, really strange reaction, right? Lord Lazarus is sick. Okay, fine. We're, we're going to hang out for a couple more days. We'll we'll be over. Okay. What kind of friends that? But Jesus knows that the sickness will not end in death. The disciples they do not know. They don't know the severity of the sickness. They don't see the whole picture like Jesus does. So the first thing that we can remember is that um, Jesus has supernatural foreknowledge. God has supernatural foreknowledge. And he's in control and he has a plan. And there's nothing that is out of his hands. It's really important to realize that. God sees the, the big picture. We only see our limited little perspective. They were two miles away from where Lazarus was sick and where he was dying, but they didn't know what was going on. I want, to make, I want to draw a little side note, actually, which I, I've always wanted to address. And this is, uh, what about poor Thomas? Eh? We always call him Doubting Thomas, don't we? Right? Because he, after the resurrection, he doubted that Jesus had risen from the dead. And he said, unless I can see the holes and feel the wounds, I'm not going to believe. So we've given him this name, uh, Doubting Thomas. Yeah. I'm sure Thomas... He's saying, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. What about, uh, what about let us also go that we may die with him? How about Thomas the Brave, Thomas the Fearless? <laughs> he never gets that label, but here's a, a real display of, he was like, let's go, let's, let's go and die with our Lord. And I love some of the little details we get in the story, such as Thomas called Didymus, or Diddy to his friends. <laughs> you know why they called him Diddy? It's not because um, it's not he was really small, but it was actually because when, uh, when Jesus appeared to the disciples and he wasn't there, and then he came back and the disciples said to Thomas, He said, Did you know that Jesus rose from the dead? He said, Did he? <laughs> no. It's not strictly true, but. But Thomas, Thomas, he's an unsung hero sometimes. And I, I just wanted to clear that up so that we're all clear. As we go on with the story, though, Jesus does make his way out to to Bethany. And um, when he arrives there, it's very interesting that um, Martha runs out to greet him, but Mary stays at home. And um, I think something important to to draw from this is that... um, Remember in Luke 10, where Jesus goes to uh, Martha and Mary's house. And Martha is the one serving the Lord and getting everything ready. And Mary's the one just sat at the feet of the Lord, listening to his words and just soaking everything in. And Martha complains, hey, come on, you know, there's work to do. Well, Martha's the more pragmatic of the two. And Mary is a little bit more sensitive, perhaps a little more tender. And in a sense, we, sh- we see two different reactions here to the pain, the death, and the suffering They're they both lost their brother. But Martha's getting on with things. and Mary is, you know, maybe she's angry at the Lord. Maybe she's sulking. Maybe she's like, oh, he finally decides to show up. Which one are we? Which one are you? Are you a Martha or a Mary? How do you process being hurt? How do you process disappointment with God? When Mary does come out to meet the Lord, she says, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. I think when she says that, she echoes what many of us have perhaps said in one form or another to the Lord. Basically, where were you? Why weren't you there? I thought you loved me. I thought you cared about me. And here I am in my hour of my darkest need. And you supposedly were not there. It's okay. It's okay to ask those questions of God. It's okay to call out to him, to cry out, to, to, to shout at the Lord. He'd rather you do that and come to him with all your pain and your anger and your grief. He'd rather you do that than turn your back on him. It's so true. He's like, come here, I'll take it. Come here, give, give it to me. It's all right. So never feel like you can't come before the Lord With pain and sorrow and anger, it's okay. We can also learn, though, from Martha's response. Because she asks the same question or says the same thing. Lord, if you had been there, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He believes in me will uh, will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And what does Martha turn around and say? She says, yes, I do. I do believe this. I believe you are the Messiah, the chosen one. By saying that, she's putting her absolute trust in the Lord, despite the fact she's just lost her brother. She's lost her brother and she knows that Jesus could have come earlier and saved him. That's an important detail to remember. Let's recap for a second. Why does God allow suffering and evil? Well, we still don't really have a full answer to that. But, A few important things to remember is, one, God sees the whole picture. We only have a limited view of things. Secondly, God is in control no matter what happens. He foresaw and he knew about it before it ever happened. It's not out of his control. We need to put our trust in the Lord no matter the circumstances. You know, there was a a, a Jewish rabbi um, by the name of uh, Harold Kushner. He's actually a a Boston rabbi, and he wrote a a book that got a lot of attention called um, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And his reasoning was that God, just there's certain things God can't control, that his power is limited, and that, you know, he can't control suffering. We cannot accept that as believers of the one true God. We do believe God is all-powerful. And he is all loving. And he has a reason for things even if we do not know what they are. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says, While you may had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Your faith. Which is worth, greater worth than gold. It's been tested. Is it genuine? When Jesus arrives, he sees the, sp- the pain and the suffering. There are people crying, wailing, weeping. Martha and Mary, two of his really good friends. Devastated. And it says, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. The original Greek there has a variety of meanings, such as to cause movement by shaking or stirring, to cause inward turmoil, to unsettle mental and spiritual agitation. The message translates it, a deep anger welled up in him. Jesus is angry, he's mad. And he's shaking with anger. Why is he shaking with anger? Well, what's one of the names that is given to Jesus in Scripture? The author of life. And here death is causing people to just suffer. Jesus is mad. He's angry that this is what death has done. And the grief. He weeps with us. What does it say? Jesus wept. That is a powerful, powerful sentence. People like to say it's the shortest sentence in the Bible, but it's one of the most powerful and profound. Jesus, God incarnate, weeps with us. It should give us a certain amount of solace to know that our God has experienced everything that we've experienced. Dorothy L. Sayers, who's a novelist and a theologian, she wrote, For whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death, he had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. Think about that for a moment. He had the honesty and courage to take his own medicine. God is not asking us to do something that he has not gone through. And that's an important question or thought to ponder. If God suffered, and he did, how can we be expected that perhaps we are not meant to suffer in some way? That's a tough question, but it's one we should ask. God himself suffered. Why should we be called to know less? A mistake we make, especially in our sort of Western culture, is the presumption that we uh, one of the main goals in life is to be comfortable. To be comfortable and just not have to deal with anything. You see, God didn't create us to be comfortable. God created us to be holy. And he'll use whatever he needs to create our holiness because that is ultimately what we were created for, to be holy and to worship God. So again, through suffering in the world, we will do well to remember a few things. One, God sees the big picture. God is in control. He has a plan. Putting our trust in the Lord, no matter our circumstances, refines and strengthens our faith. And lastly, we have a God who is upfront and personal. He's not asking us to do anything that He has not been through. So when Jesus finally gets to the tomb, Lazarus had been dead four days, and He says, "Okay, pull back the pull back the uh, you know the rock that's blocking the tomb," and Martha. Is reluctant to do so. She says, Lord, there's there's a bad odor. It probably smells worse than Gandhi's sandals in there. You just do not want to be there. (laughs) When you think about it, though, how many stones do we have in our life? How many barriers are we keeping? From God working in our lives. How many of us have stones in our life. Like the stone covering Lazarus too. How many of us resist the Lord's promptings. He says pull pull it back. Oh Lord. These stones. Act as barriers to God working in our lives. And we have to remove them. Because what lies on the other side of the stone. Life. Resurrection. New life. What came from death. The Lord can change into life, a new life. God loves being the underdog. He loves turning an impossible event into something possible and to what? The glory of God. So that's what this whole story is about. The Lord lets Lazarus die, leaves it four days so that people know for sure he's dead. And then he raises him up to glorify himself and to justify to us why he is truly worthy of worship. This is the God of life, the God of resurrection. This is the God who can bring back the dead. This is the God who does not let death conquer. This is the God who conquers death. So back to the story I told at the beginning about the, uh, the family, the, uh, the mother and the, the three children. Well, that's actually a true story. Um, because actually the, the mother was my mother. And the brother and the sister are my brother and sister. I was the younger brother. My older brother is still wrestling and struggling with why God let our mom die the way she did. And why he seemed apparently to be so silent when he cried out to him. But it also highlights we have a choice when suffering comes and when pain and evil come into our life. And they will because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is occupied by sin. When it happens, not if, when, what choice will we make? We choose to say, God, I I place it before you, I trust you. I know you are good. I know you are all powerful, and therefore you must have a reason for this that I do not understand. But I don't need to understand, I just need to trust. That is faith. You know what, what was what was one of the key factors in the growth of the early church? Other than obviously the work of the Holy Spirit, what was one of the key factors? Bingo. Persecution. The church grew so rapidly and so quickly because it was persecuted. The pagans and the Romans would look at Christians and say, see how they love each other. And it began to tug at people. Even today, in the world today, where Christianity is being persecuted is some of the places where it tends to grow the quickest. You notice in the West, it doesn't grow as quickly because we're comfortable. We get lazy. We get, yeah, whatever. Okay? You know, in China one of the fastest growing uh, places for Christianity, Uh, an Asia Times article reported that as many as 10,000 people per day are coming to Christ. 10,000 people per day. Why is that? Because the government has driven it underground. So when the church is persecuted, it grows. And when we suffer, we too can grow. God builds us up through that suffering. It's also important to remember that this story did not end in tragedy. This is not the end of the story. Death is not the end. If you die tomorrow, this is not the end. You know, we think death's the worst thing that can happen to us. But it's not the end. Lazarus was brought back to life. He was raised from the dead. As Jesus reminds Martha, he says, Whoever believes in me will never die. We have a choice. It's important to remember this. Circumstances do not dictate truth. Circumstances do not dictate truth. God defines truth. Who he is. What did God say about himself? I am who I am. God is the definition of truth. Don't let what happens in your life speak lies and say, therefore God must be this or that. No. Circumstances do not define God. So as we conclude, um, invite the worship team to come back up. I want to leave you with a scripture that does speak about the big picture, God's plan coming to fruition. And it's Revelation, book of Revelation. It's the last book in your Bible, chapter 21. And it says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen to this he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Let that sink in. These words are trustworthy and true. That is going to happen. That is going to happen. That is God's plan. And that is what we are ultimately called to is eternal life of the Lord no matter what this life might throw at us.